0: THIS PERFORMANCE IS A CO-PRODUCTION OF LOUDLIT.ORG AND LITERAL SYSTEMS. THE ADVENTURES OF HUCKLEBERRY FINN BY MARK Twain, PERFORMED BY MARK DEVINE CHAPTER 28 By and by it was getting up time, so I come down the ladder and started for downstairs, But as I come to the girls' room, the door was open, and I see Mary Jane sitting by her old hair trunk, which was open and she'd been packing things in it, getting ready to go to England. But she had stopped now with a folded gown in her lap and had her face in her hands, crying. I felt awful bad to see it. Of course anybody would. I went in there and says, Miss Mary Jane, you can't bear to see people in trouble, and I can't, most always. Tell me about it. So she done it. And it was the niggers. I just expected it. She said the beautiful trip to England was most about spoiled for her. She didn't know how she was ever going to be happy there, knowing the mother and the children weren't ever going to see each other no more. And then busted out bitterer than ever and flung up her hands and says, Oh, dear, dear, to think that they ain't ever going to see each other any more." But they will. And inside two weeks, and I know it, says I. Laws. It was out before I could think. And before I could budge, she throws her arms around my neck and told me to say it again, say it again, say it again. I see I had spoke too sudden and said too much and was in a close place. I asked her to let me think a minute, and she sat there very impatient and excited and handsome, but looking kind of happy and eased up, like a person that's had a tooth pulled out. So I went to studying it out. I says to myself... I reckon a body that ups and tells the truth when he is in a tight place is taken considerable many risks, though I ain't had no experience and can't say for certain, but it looks so to me, anyway. And yet here's a case where I'm blessed if it don't look to me like the truth is better and actually safer than a lie. I must lay it by in my mind and think it over some time or other, it's so kind of strange and unregular I never see nothin like it. Well, I says to myself at last. I'm-a-going to chance it. I'll up and tell the truth this time, though it does seem most like setting down on a keg of powder and touching it off just to see where you'll go to. Then I says, Miss Mary Jane, is there any place out of town a little ways where you can go and stay three or four days? Yes, Mr. Lothrop's. Why? Never mind why yet. If I tell you how I know the niggers will see each other again inside of two weeks here in this house and prove how I know it, "'Will you go to Mr. Lothrop's and stay four days?' Four days,' she says. "'I'll stay a year.' "'All right,' I says. "'I don't want nothing more out of you than just your word. "'I'd rather have it than another man's kiss the Bible.' "'She smiled and reddened up very sweet, and I says, "'If you don't mind it, I'll shut the door and bolt it.' "'Then I come back and sit down again and says, "'Don't you holler. "'Just set still and take it like a man.' "'I got to tell the truth, and you want to brace up, Miss Mary, "'because it's a bad kind and going to be hard to take, "'but there ain't no help for it. "'These uncles of Yorn ain't no uncles at all. "'They're a couple of frauds, regular deadbeats. "'There, now we're over the worst of it. "'You can stand the rest middling easy.' "'It jolted her up like everything, of course. "'But I was over the shoal water now, so I went right along, "'her eyes a-blazing higher and higher all the time,' and told her every blame thing, from where we first struck that young fool going up to the steamboat, clear through to where she flung herself onto the king's breast at the front door, and he kissed her sixteen or seventeen times. And then up she jumps with her face afire like sunset and says, The brute! Come, don't waste a minute, not a second. We'll have them tarred and feathered and flung in the river. Says I, Certainly. But do you mean before you go to Mr. Lothrop's, or... Oh, she says... What am I thinking about, she says, and set right down again. But don't mind what I said, please don't. You won't now, will you? Laying her silky hand on mine in that kind of a way that I said I would die first. I never thought I was so stirred up, she says. Now go on, and I won't do so any more. You tell me what to do, and whatever you say, I'll do it. Well, I says, it's a rough gang, them two frauds, and I'm fixed so I gotta travel with them a while longer, whether I want to or not. I'd rather not tell you why, and if you was to blow on them, this town would get me out of their claws and I'd be all right, but there'd be another person that you don't know about who'd be in big trouble. Well, we got to save him, ain't we? Of course. Well, then, we won't blow on them. Saying them words put a good idea in my head. I see how maybe I could get me and Jim rid of the frauds, get them jailed here, and then leave but I didn't want to run the raft in the daytime without anybody aboard to answer questions but me, so I didn't want the plan to begin work until pretty late tonight. I says, Miss Mary Jane, I'll tell you what we'll do, and you won't have to stay at Mr. Lothrop's so long, nother. how far is it? A little short of four miles, right out in the country back here. Well, that'll answer. Now you go along out there and lay low till nine or half past tonight and then get them to fetch you home again. "'Tell them you've thought of something. "'If you get here before eleven, put a candle in this window. "'And if I don't turn up, wait till eleven. "'And then if I don't turn up, it means I'm gone and out of the way and safe. "'Then you come out and spread the news around and get these beats jailed. "'Good,' she says. "'I'll do it. "'And if it just happens so that I don't get away but get took up along with them, "'you must up and say I told you the whole thing beforehand "'and you must stand by me all you can. "'Stand by you. "'Indeed I will.' They shan't touch a hair on your head, she says, and I see her nostrils spread and her eyes snap when she said it, too. If I get away, I shan't be here, I says, to prove these rapscallions ain't your uncles, and I couldn't do it if I was here. I could swear they was beats and bummers, that's all, though that's worth something. Well, there's others that can do better than what I can, and they're people that ain't going to be doubted as quick as I'd be. I'll tell you how to find them. Give me a pencil and a piece of paper. There royal nonsuch bricksville put it away and don't lose it when the court wants to find out something about these two let them send up to bricksville and say they've got the men that played the royal nonsuch and ask for some witnesses why you'll have that entire town down here before you can hardly wink miss mary and they'll come a biling too i judged we had got everything fixed about right now so i says just let the auction go right along and don't worry Nobody don't have to pay for the things they buy till a whole day after the auction on account of the short notice, and they ain't going out of this till they get that money. And the way we fixed it, the sale ain't going to count, and they ain't going to get no money. It's just like the way it was with the niggers. It weren't no sale, and the niggers will be back before long. Why, they can't collect the money for the niggers yet. They're in the worst kind of fix, Miss Mary. Well, she says, I'll run down to breakfast now, and then I'll start straight for Mr. Lothrop's. Deed, that ain't the ticket, Miss Mary Jane, I says, by no manner of means. Go before breakfast. Why? What did you reckon I wanted you to go at all for, Miss Mary? Well, I never thought. And come to think, I don't know. What was it? Why, it's because you ain't one of these leather-faced people. I don't want no better book than what your face is. A body can set down and read it off like coarse print. Do you reckon you can go and face your uncles when they come to kiss you good morning and never there, there, don't. Yes. I'll go before breakfast. I'll be glad to. And leave my sisters with them. Yes. Never mind about them. They've got to stand it yet a while. They might suspicion something if all of you was to go. I don't want you to see them, nor your sisters, nor nobody in this town. If a neighbor was to ask how your uncle's is this morning, your face would tell something. No. You go right along, Miss Mary Jane, and I'll fix it with all of them. "'I'll tell Miss Susan to give your love to your uncles "'and say you went away for a few hours "'for to get a little rest and change, "'or to see a friend, "'and you'll be back tonight or early in the morning. "'Gone to see a friend is all right, "'but I won't have my love given to them. "'Well, then, it shan't be. "'It was well enough to tell her so. "'No harm in it. "'It was only little thing to do and no trouble, "'and it's the little things "'that smooths people's roads the most down here below. "'It would make Mary Jane comfortable.' and it wouldn't cost nothing. Then I says, there's one more thing, that bag of money. Well, they've got that, and it makes me feel pretty silly to think how they got it. No, you're out there. They hain't got it. Why, who's got it? I wished I knowed, but I don't. I had it because I stole it from them, and I stole it to give to you, and I know where I hid it, but I'm afraid it ain't there no more. I'm awful sorry, Miss Mary Jane. I'm just as sorry as I can be but i done the best I could, I did honest. I come nigh getting caught, and I had to shove it into the first place I come to and run, and it weren't a good place. Oh, stop blaming yourself. It's too bad to do it, and I won't allow it. You couldn't help it. It wasn't your fault. Where did you hide it? I didn't want to set her to thinking about her troubles again, and I couldn't seem to get my mouth to tell her what would make her see that corpse laying in the coffin with that bag of money on its stomach. "'So for a minute I didn't say nothing. "'Then I says, "'I'd rather not tell you where I put it, Miss Mary Jane, "'if you don't mind letting me off, "'but I'll write it for you on a piece of paper, "'and you can read it along the road to Mr. Lothrop's if you want to. "'Do you reckon that'll do?' "'Oh, yes.' "'So I wrote, "'I put it in the coffin. "'It was in there when you was crying there, away in the night. "'I was behind the door, "'and I was mighty sorry for you, Miss Mary Jane.' It made my eyes water a little to remember her crying there all by herself in the night and them devils laying there right under her own roof, shamin' her and robbing her. And when I folded it up and give it to her, I see the water come into her eyes, too. And she shook me by the hand hard and says, "'Goodbye. I'm going to do everything just as you told me. And if I don't ever see you again, I shan't ever forget you. And I'll think of you a many and a many a time. And I'll pray for you, too.' And she was gone. Pray for me. I reckon if she'd knowed me, she'd take a job that was more nearer her size. But I bet she'd done it just the same. She was just that kind. She had the grit to pray for Judas if she took the notion. There weren't no back down to her, I judge. You may say what you want to, but in my opinion, she had more sand in her than any girl I ever see. In my opinion, she was just full of sand. It sounds like flattery, but it ain't no flattery. And when it comes to beauty and goodness, too, she lays over them all. I ain't ever seen her since that time I see her go out that door. No, I ain't ever seen her since. But I reckon I've thought of her many and a many a million times, and of her saying she would pray for me. And if ever I'd a thought it would do any good for me to pray for her, blamed if I wouldn't have done it or bust. Well, Mary Jane, she let out the back way, I reckon, because nobody see her go. When I struck Susan in the hair lip, I says... What's the name of them people over on t'other side of the river that you all goes to see sometimes? They says. Well, there's several, but it's the Proctor's mainly. That's the name, I says. I most forgot it. Well, Miss Mary Jane, she told me to tell you she's gone over there in a dreadful hurry. One of them's sick. Which one? Well, I don't know. Leastways, I kind of forget. But I think it's... Sakes alive, I hope it ain't Hanner. I'm sorry to say it, I says. But Hanner's the very one. My goodness, and she's so well only last week. Is she took bad? It ain't no name for it. They set up with her all night, Miss Mary Jane said, and they don't think she'll last many hours. Only think of that now. What's the matter with her? I couldn't think of anything reasonable right off that way, so I says, mumps. Mumps, your granny, they don't set up with people that's got the mumps. They don't, don't they? You better bet they do with these mumps. These mumps is different. It's a new kind, Miss Mary Jane said. How's it a new kind? Because it's mixed up with other things. What other things? Well, measles and whooping cough and erysipelas and consumption and janders, and brain fever and I don't know what all. My land. And they call it the mumps? Well, that's what Miss Mary Jane said. Well, what in the nation do they call it the mumps for? Why is because it is the mumps? That's what it starts with. Well, there ain't no sense in it. A body might stump his toe and take poison and fall down the well and break his neck and bust his brains out and somebody come along and ask what killed him and some numbskull up and says, Why, he stumped his toe. Would there be any sense in that? No. And there ain't no sense in this, nuther. Is it catching? Is it catching? Why, how you talk. Is a hero catching? In the dark? If you don't hitch to one tooth, you're bound to on another, ain't you? And you can't get away with that tooth without fetching the whole harrow along, can you? Well, these kind of mumps is kind of a harrow, as you may say. And it ain't no slouch of a harrow another. You come to get it hitched on good. Well, it's awful, I think, says the hair lip. I'll go to Uncle Harvey and... Oh, yes, I says, I would. Of course I would. I wouldn't lose no time. Well, why wouldn't you? Just look at it in a minute and maybe you can see... Ain't your uncles obliged to get along home to England as fast as they can? And do you reckon they'd be mean enough to go off and leave you to go all that journey by yourselves? You know they'll wait for you. So far, so good. Your Uncle Harvey's a preacher, ain't he? Very well, then. Is a preacher going to deceive a steamboat clerk? Is he going to deceive a ship clerk so as to get them to let Miss Mary Jane go aboard? Now you know he ain't. What will he do, then? Why, he'll say... It's a great pity, but my church matters has got to get along the best way they can, for my niece has been exposed to the dreadful pluribus unum mumps, and so it's my bounden duty to set down here and wait the three months it takes to show on her if she's got it. But never mind, if you think it's best to tell your Uncle Harvey, shucks, and stay fooling around here when we could all be having good times in England whilst we was waiting to find out whether Mary Jane's got it or not, why, you talk like a muggins. Well, anyway, maybe you better tell some of the neighbors. Listen at that now. You do beat off for natural stupidness. Can't you see that they'd go and tell? There ain't no way but just to not tell anybody at all. Well, maybe you're right. Yes, I judge you are right. But I reckon we ought to tell Uncle Harvey she's gone out a while anyway so he won't be uneasy about her. Yes, Miss Mary Jane, she wanted you to do that, she says, "'Tell them to give Uncle Harvey and William my love and a kiss, "'and say I've run over the river to see Mr... Mr... "'What is the name of that rich family your Uncle Peter used to think so much of? "'I mean, the one that... "'Why, you must mean the Apthorps, ain't it?' "'Of course bother them kind of names. "'A body can't ever seem to remember them half the time somehow. "'Yes, she said, "'Say she has run over for to ask the Apthorps "'to be sure to come to the auction and buy this house.' because she allowed her Uncle Peter would rather they had it than anybody else, and she's going to stick to them till they say they'll come, and then, if she ain't too tired, she's coming home, and if she is, she'll be home in the morning anyway. She said, don't say nothing about the Proctors, but only about the Apthorps, which will be perfectly true, because she is going there to speak about their buying the house. I know it, because she told me so herself. All right, they said, and cleared out to lay for their uncles, and give them the love and the kisses, and tell them the message. "'Everything was all right now. "'The girls wouldn't say nothing because they wanted to go to England, "'and the king and the duke would rather Mary Jane was off working for the auction "'than around in reach of Dr. Robinson. "'I felt very good. "'I judged I had done it pretty neat. "'I reckon Tom Sawyer couldn't have done it no neater himself. "'Of course, he would have thrown more style into it, "'but I can't do that very handy, not being brung up to it. "'Well, they held the auction in the public square "'along towards the end of the afternoon.' And it strung along and strung along, and the old man, he was on hand and looking his level pisonous up there alongside the auctioneer, and chipping in a little scripture now and then, or a little goody-goody saying of some kind, and the duke, he was around goo-gooing for sympathy all he knowed how, and just spreading himself generally. But by and by, the thing dragged through, and everything was sold, everything but a little old trifling lot in the graveyard. So they'd got to work that off, I never see such a giraffe as the king was for wanting to swallow everything. Well, whilst they was at it, a steamboat landed, and in about two minutes, up comes a crowd, a-whooping and yelling and laughing and carrying on and singing out, Here's your opposition line, here's your two sets of airs to old Peter Wilkes, and you pays your money and you takes your choice. Chapter 29 they was fetching a very nice-looking old gentleman along, and a nice-looking younger one with his right arm in a sling. And my souls, how the people yelled and laughed and kept it up. But I didn't see no joke about it, and I judged it would strain the Duke and the King some to see any. I reckon they'd turn pale. But no, nary a pale did they turn. The Duke never let on, he suspicioned what was up, but just went a-goo-gooing around, happy and satisfied, like a jug that's googling out buttermilk. And as for the King... He just gazed and gazed down sorrowful on them newcomers, like it'd give him the stomach ache in his very heart to think there could be such frauds and rascals in the world. Oh, he'd done an admirable. Lots of the principal people gathered around the king to let him see they was on his side. That old gentleman that had just come looked all puzzled to death. Pretty soon he begun to speak, and I see straight off he pronounced like an Englishman, not the king's way, though the king's was pretty good for an imitation. I can't give the old gent's words, nor I can't imitate him. But he turned around to the crowd and says, about like this. This is a surprise to me, which I wasn't looking for, and I'll acknowledge, candid and frank, I ain't very well fixed to meet it and answer it, for my brother and me has had misfortunes. He's broke his arm, and our baggage got put off at a town above here last night in the night by a mistake. I am Peter Wilkes' brother, Harvey, and this is his brother, William, which can't hear nor speak, and can't even make signs to amount to much, "'Now he's got only one hand to work them with. "'We are who we say we are, and in a day or two, when I get the baggage, I can prove it. "'But up till then I won't say nothing more but go to the hotel and wait.' "'So him and the new dummy started off, and the king, he laughs and blethers out, "'Broke his arm? Very likely, ain't it? "'And very convenient, too, for a fraud that's got to make signs and ain't learnt how.' "'Lost their baggage. "'That's mighty good and mighty ingenious "'under the circumstances.' "'So he laughed again, "'and so did everybody else except three or four "'or maybe half a dozen. "'One of these was that doctor. "'Another one was a sharp-looking gentleman "'with a carpet bag of the old-fashioned kind "'made out of carpet stuff "'that had just come off the steamboat "'and was talking to him in a low voice "'and glancing toward the king now and then "'and nodding their heads. "'It was Levi Bell, the lawyer, "'that was gone up to Louisville.' And another one was a big, rough husky that come along and listened to all the old gentleman said and was listening to the king now. And when the king got done, this husky up and says, "'Say, looky here. "'If you are Harvey Wilkes, when'd you come to this town?' "'The day before the funeral, friend,' says the king. "'But what time of day?' "'In the evening, about an hour or two before sundown. "'How'd you come?' "'I come down on the Susan Powell from Cincinnati.' "'Well, then how'd you come to be up at the pint in the morning in a canoe?' "'I weren't up at the pint in the morning. "'It's a lie.' "'Several of them jumped for him, "'begged him not to talk that way to an old man and a preacher. "'Preacher be hanged. "'He's a fraud and a liar. "'He was up at the pint that morning. "'I live up there, don't I? "'Well, I was up there and he was up there. "'I see him there. "'He come in a canoe along with Tim Collins and a boy.' The doctor, he up and says, Would you know the boy again if you was to see him, Hines? I reckon I would, but I don't know. Why, yonder he is now. I know him perfectly easy. It was me he pointed at. The doctor says, Neighbors, I don't know whether the new couple is frauds or not, but if these two ain't frauds, I'm an idiot, that's all. I think it's our duty to see that they don't get away from here till we've looked into this thing. Come along, Hines. Come along, the rest of you. We'll take these fellows to the tavern and affront them with t'other couple, and I reckon we'll find something before we get through. It was nuts for the crowd, though maybe not for the king's friends, so we all started. It was about sundown. The doctor, he led me along by the hand, and was plenty kind enough, but he never let go my hand. We all got in a big room in the hotel and lit up some candles and fetched in the new couple. First the doctor says, "'I don't wish to be too hard on these two men.' But I think they're frauds, and they may have complices that we don't know nothing about. If they have, won't the complices get away with that bag of gold Peter Wilkes left? It ain't unlikely. If these men ain't frauds, they won't object to sending for that money and letting us keep it till they prove they're all right. Ain't that so? Well, everybody agreed to that. So I judge they had our gang in a pretty tight place right at the outstart. But the king, he only looks sorrowful and says, "'Gentlemen?' I wish the money was there, for I ain't got no disposition to throw anything in the way of a fair, open, out-and-out investigation of this miserable business. But, alas, the money ain't there. You can send and see if you want to. Where is it, then? Well, when my niece give it to me to keep for her, I took and hid it inside of the straw tick of my bed, not wishing to bank it for the few days we'd be here and considering the bed a safe place, "'we not being used to niggers and supposing them honest like servants in England. "'The niggers stole it the very next morning after I had went downstairs, "'and when I sold them I hadn't missed the money yet, "'so they got clean away with it. "'My servant here can tell you about it, gentlemen.' "'The doctor and several said, "'Shucks!' "'And I see nobody didn't altogether believe him. "'One man asked me if I see the niggers steal it. "'I said no, but I see them sneaking out of the room and hustling away.' And I never thought nothing, only I reckoned they was afraid they had waked up my master and was trying to get away before he made trouble with them. That was all they asked me. Then the doctor whirls on me and says, Are you English too? I says yes, and him and some others laughed and said, Stuff! Well, then they sailed in on the general investigation, and there we had it, up and down, hour in, hour out. And nobody never said a word about supper, nor ever seemed to think about it. And so they kept it up and kept it up, and it was the worst mixed-up thing you ever see. They made the king tell his yarn, and they made the old gentleman tell his'n, and anybody but a lot of prejudiced chuckleheads would have seen that the old gentleman was spinning truth, and t'other one lies. And by and by they had me up to tell what I knowed. The king, he give me a left-handed look out of the corner of his eye, and so I knowed enough to talk on the right side. I begun to tell about Sheffield and how we live there, and all about the English Wilkeses and so on but I didn't get pretty fur till the doctor begun to laugh. and Levi Bell, the lawyer, says, "'Sit down, my boy. I wouldn't strain myself if I was you. I reckon you ain't used to lying. It don't seem to come handy. What you want is practice. You do it pretty awkward.' I didn't care nothing for the compliment, but I was glad to be left off anyway. The doctor, he started to say something, and turns and says, "'If you'd been in town at first, Levi Bell,' The king broke in and reached out his hand and says, "'Why, is this my poor dead brother's old friend "'that he's wrote so often about?' The lawyer and him shook hands, and the lawyer smiled and looked pleased, and they talked right along a while, and then got to one side and talked low, and at last the lawyer speaks up and says, "'That'll fix it. "'I'll take the order and send it, along with your brothers, "'and then they'll know it's all right.' So they got some paper and a pen." And the king, he sat down and twisted his head to one side and chawed his tongue and scrawled off something. And then they give the pen to the duke. And then for the first time, the duke looks sick. But he took the pen and wrote. So then the lawyer turns to the new old gentleman and says, You and your brother, please, write a line or two and sign your names. The old gentleman wrote, but nobody couldn't read it. The lawyer looked powerful, astonished, and says, Well, it beats me and snaked a lot of old letters out of his pocket, and examined them, and then examined the old man's writing, and then them again, and then says, These old letters is from Harvey Wilkes, and here's these two handwritings, and anybody can see they didn't write them. The king and the duke looked sold and foolish, I tell you, to see how the lawyer had took them in. And here's this old gentleman's handwriting, and anybody can tell easy enough he didn't write them. Fact is, the scratches he makes ain't properly writing at all. "'Now here's some letters from,' the new old gentleman says. "'If you please let me explain. "'Nobody can read my hand but my brother here, "'so he copies for me. "'It's his hand you've got there, not mine.' "'Well,' says the lawyer, "'this is a state of things. "'I've got some of William's letters, too, "'so if you'll get him to write a line or so, we can come—' "'He can't write with his left hand,' says the old gentleman. "'If he could use his right hand—' You would see he wrote his own letters, and mine too. Look at both, please. They're by the same hand. The lawyer done it and says, well, I believe it's so, and if it ain't so, there's a heap stronger resemblance than I'd noticed before, anyway. Well, well, well. I thought we was right on the track of a solution, but it's gone to grass, partly. But anyway, one thing is proved. These two ain't either of em Wilkeses. And he wagged his head towards the king and the duke. Well, what do you think? That mule-headed fool would give in then? Indeed, he wouldn't. Said it weren't no fair test. Said his brother William was the cussidest joker in the world and hadn't tried to write. He see William was going to play one of his jokes the minute he put the pen to paper. And so he warmed up and went warbling right along till he was actually beginning to believe what he was saying himself. But pretty soon the new gentleman broke in and says, I've thought of something. Is there anybody here that helped to lay out my bro help to lay out the late Peter Wilkes for burying. Yes, says somebody. Me and Ab Turner done it. We're both here. Then the old man turns toward the king and says, perhaps this gentleman can tell me what was tattooed on his breast. Blamed if the king didn't have to brace up mighty quick, or he'd a squashed down like a bluff bank that the river is cut under. It took him so sudden, and mind you, it was a thing that was calculated to make most anybody squish to get fetched such a solid one as that without any notice. Because how was he going to know what was tattooed on the man? He whitened a little. He couldn't help it. And it was mighty still in there, and everybody bending a little forwards and gazing at him. Says I to myself, now he'll throw up the sponge. There ain't no more use. Well, did he? A body can't hardly believe it, but he didn't. I reckon he thought he'd keep the thing up till he tired them people out so they'd thin out and him and the Duke could break loose and get away. Anyway, he sat there and pretty soon he begun to smile and says, Hmm, it's a very tough question, ain't it? Yes, sir. I can tell you what's tattooed on his breast. It's just a small, thin blue arrow. That's what it is, and if you don't look close, you can't see it. Now what do you say, eh? Well, I never see anything like that old blister for clean out-and-out-cheek. The new old gentleman turns brisk towards Ab Turner and his part, and his eyes lights up when he judged he got the king this time and says, There, you've heard what he said. Was there any such mark on Peter Wilkes's breast? Both of them spoke up and says, We didn't see no such mark. Good, says the old gentleman. Now what you did see on the breast was a small dim P and a B which is an initial he dropped when he was young, and a W with dashes between them, so P-B-W. And he marked them that way on a piece of paper. Come, ain't that what you saw? Both of them spoke up again and says, No, we didn't. We never see any marks at all. Well, everybody was in a state of mind now, and they sings out, The whole bilin of ems frauds. Let's duck em. Let's drown them. Let's ride him on a rail. And everybody was whooping at once, and there was a rattling powwow. But the lawyer, he jumps on the table and yells and says, Gentlemen, gentlemen, hear me just a word, just a single word, if you please. There's one way yet. Let's go and dig up the corpse and look. That took them. Hooray, they all shouted, and was starting right off. But the lawyer and the doctor sung out. Hold on, hold on. Collar all these four men and the boy, and fetch them along, too. We'll do it, they all shouted, and if we don't find them marks, we'll lynch the whole gang. I was scared now, I tell you, but there weren't no getting away, you know. They gripped us all and marched us right along, straight for the graveyard, which was a mile and a half down the river, and the whole town at our heels, for we made noise enough, and it was only nine in the evening. As we went by our house, I wished I hadn't sent Mary Jane out of town, because now if I could tip her the wink, she'd light out and save me and blow on our deadbeats. Well, we swarmed along down the river road, just carrying on like wildcats, and to make it more scary, the sky was darkening up, and the lightning began to wink and flitter, and the wind to shiver amongst the leaves. This was the most awful trouble and most dangerous I ever was in, and I was kinder stunned. Everything was going so different from what I had allowed for, Instead of being fixed so I could take my own time if I wanted to and see all the fun and have Mary Jane at my back to save me and set me free when the close fit come, here was nothing in the world betwixt me and sudden death but just them tattoo marks. If they didn't find them, I couldn't bear to think about it. And yet, somehow, I couldn't think about nothing else. It got darker and darker, and it was a beautiful time to give the crowd the slip. But that big husky had me by the wrist, Hines. "'and a body might as well try to give Goliath the slip. "'He dragged me right along. "'He was so excited, and I had to run to keep up. "'When they got there, they swarmed into the graveyard "'and washed over it like an overflow. "'And when they got to the grave, "'they found they had about a hundred times "'as many shovels as they wanted, "'but nobody hadn't thought to fetch a lantern. "'But they sailed into digging anyway "'by the flicker of the lightning "'and sent a man to the nearest house "'a half a mile off to borrow one. "'So they dug and dug like everything.' And it got awful dark, and the rain started, and the wind swished and swushed along, and the lightning come brisker and brisker, and the thunder boomed. But them people never took no notice of it. They were so full of this business, and one minute you could see everything and every face in that big crowd, and the shovelfuls of dirt sailing up out of the grave, and the next second the dark wiped it all out, and you couldn't see nothing at all. At last they got out the coffin and begun to unscrew the lid, and then such another crowding and shouldering and shoving as there was to scrouge in and get a sight you'd never see. And in the dark that way, it was awful. Hines, he hurt my wrist dreadful pulling and tugging so, and I reckon he clean forgot I was in the world. He was so excited and panting. All of a sudden the lightning let go a perfect sluice of white glare, and somebody sings out, By the living jingo, here's the bag of gold on his breast. Hines let out a whoop like everybody else, "'and drop my wrist and give a big surge to bust his way in and get a look. "'And the way I lit out and shinned for the road in the dark, "'there ain't nobody can tell. "'I had the road all to myself, and I fairly flew leastways. "'I had it all to myself except the solid dark, "'and now and then glares, and the buzzing of the rain, "'and the thrashing of the wind, and the splitting of the thunder. "'And sure as you're born, I did clip it along. "'When I struck the town, I see there weren't nobody out in the storm, "'so I never hunted for no back streets but humped it straight through the main one.' and when I begun to get towards our house, I aimed my eye and set it. No light there, the house all dark, which made me feel sorry and disappointed. I didn't know why. But at last, just as I was sailing by, a flash comes the light in Mary Jane's window, and my heart swelled up sudden like the bust, and the same second the house and all was behind me in the dark and wasn't ever going to be before me no more in this world. She was the best girl I ever see and had the most sand. The minute I was far enough above the town to see I could make the towhead, I begun to look sharp for a boat to borrow, and the first time the lightning showed me one that wasn't chained, I snatched it and shoved. It was a canoe, and weren't fastened with nothing but a rope. The towhead was a rattling big distance off, away out there in the middle of the river, but I didn't lose no time, and when I struck the raft at last, I was so fagged I would have just laid down to blow and gasp if I could afford it. But I didn't. As I sprung aboard, I sung out, "'Out with you, Jim, and set her loose. "'Glory be to goodness, we're shut of them.'" Jim lit out and was a-coming for me with both arms spread. He was so full of joy, but when I glimpsed him in the lightning, my heart shot up in my mouth, and I went overboard backwards, for I forgot he was old King Lear and a drowned Arab all in one, and it most scared the livers and lights out of me. But Jim fished me out and was going to hug me and bless me and so on. He was so glad I was back and we was shut of the king and the duke, But I says, not now. Have it for breakfast. Have it for breakfast. Cut loose and let her slide. So in two seconds away, we went a sliding down the river. And it did seem so good to be free again and all by ourselves on the big river and nobody to bother us. I had to skip around a bit and jump up and crack my heels a few times. I couldn't help it. But about the third crack, I noticed a sound that I knowed mighty well and held my breath and listened and waited. And sure enough... When the next flash busted out over the water here they come and just a lay into their oars and making their skiff hum it was the king and the duke so i wilted right down onto the planks then and give up and it was all i could do to keep from crying this presentation is dedicated by gordon w draper to all of those who will enjoy this mark twain masterpiece.